This is the GeoVersive Earth Intelligence Podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Don Shelby. Thank you for joining us on GeoVersive Earth Intelligence. Uh, we're going to have an interesting discussion today because this is the first opportunity that we have had to talk to you since the election. And now we have a new president-elect, Joseph R. Biden. Pending, of course, lawsuits, recounts. But the experts are telling us from the newsrooms around the country that even though they may be successful at some point or in certain states, not enough to overturn the election. This podcast is described as a frontier of work imagining and designing and forging and securing a future of sustainable health and resilience and is open to all. And Myra, who you'll hear from in just a moment, says this is a start of a conversation a start of a community. Joe Robertson is a global strategy director for Citizens Climate Education and founder of GeoVersive, and he's with the Food System Economics Commission. Myra Jackson helped develop the UN 17 Sustainable Development Goals, is a diplomat of the biosphere, and she remains a UN representative and focal point on climate change. And she's an expert in harmony with nature. Well, let's just dive right into it. You can be as political or apolitical as you wish to be, but I imagine there's some hollering going on from the quarters in which you uh, frequent because finally science gets a chance. Uh, Don, thank you for, for putting it that way. You know, my initial reaction when I heard the news was, we are free. It was an impulsive, natural reflex reaction. And I think it comes from the very dark feeling that many of us have been living with, that we're not allowed to be fully engaged with the truth, that we're not allowed to seek knowledge and report knowledge and operate on the basis of evidence. And I think there is a lot of celebration about the fact that science is going to come back to work for us uh, in a real way. Myra, I don't mean to jump into this in any detailed way, but I want to say congratulations to you and your brothers and sisters uh, all across the nation, because this would not have happened had it not been for people of color. And it is amazing to me and refreshing to me and uplifting to me. The next person you see who helped make this happen, will you thank them for me? Oh, I'd be happy to. There is a deep sense of heart and connection and community that's rising from the work that's been done this year. Yes, Black women took the lead, and I have to specifically say, you know, Black women. <laughs> and in their own way, uh, they understood how they needed to pivot and switch and alter the infrastructure that's been out there to adapt to the current scenario that we all face with COVID to ensure everyone's safe and all. But even as I sit here, being a part of that engine in the, in, the, in the way that I was and that I participated in, it was an all-hands-on-deck moment. How could it not be? And we had the confidence. We were very relaxed and very calm because we understood what had been accomplished. And what's really important in that is that we have to continue I have taken a few hours. I got a little bit more sleep. Tomorrow I'm back in that, you know, back out there. We have more work to do. It is necessary to move toward a more perfect union. And we're all 
thinking of those that have gone before us, particularly John Lewis. Yes. President-elect Biden and uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris are going to inherit something awful. The largest number of people testing positive for the coronavirus was just yesterday, and that will continue to grow throughout the winter, according to the major health officials who are reporting in on these facts. Now, the question that I have that surrounds this is there are so many crises, COVID, the economic crisis, or racial injustice, and climate change. Uh, Myra, where would you start? I have already just quite naturally, I have to say, without dropping a stitch, thinking about and communicating how we get the global community back in tow. We have lost a good four years of being connected in the global conversation. And I think one of the areas we need to assess quickly is getting caught up and getting up to speed on the conversations that the United States has basically been outside the room. And why do I think that that's important? I think it's important because it is linked to the other concerns we have within our borders. I'm very clear about that, that we have to move on that front at the same time we're working on our domestic concerns. They are interrelated. The sooner we get back in position to taking our role in the global conversation, more quickly we can be a part of increasing the ambition and the outcomes that are necessary with regard to climate change. The planet is setting the agenda on that score. Joe, do you think the first thing that the president-elect will do on January 20th is rejoin Paris? I think the most important thing about the day one to talk about right now is the fact that the Biden-Harris administration already says on day one they will address COVID-19, they will address economic recovery, they will address racial equity, and they will address climate change. Yes, on that day, I believe there will be a formal announcement that the U.S. is back in the Paris Agreement. In a sense, we will never have left, uh, even though there's been a formal departure. And I agree with what Myra said. The idea that we somehow benefit from being outside of the shaping of the future just it makes no sense. It, it's nonsense. And um, I think it's a common sense approach that says we will be back in and, and that's a priority. But I just also like to point out that it's more than common sense. Um, what I think Kamala Harris and Joe Biden both intend to bring to the work of serving in the nation's highest offices is what they've advertised, that this is a duty to care, that, that they must be driven by loyalty and devotion to the idea that they are servants of all of the people. You know, Kamala Harris said in August that we are united by the belief that every human being is of infinite worth uh, and that that should drive the way that we govern. Joe Biden has said that he intends to be a president for all of the people, including the people who voted against him. You know, that brings me to this complicated feeling that I think people are having, which is how can that be in a country that's, that's so divided? I think the misconception is that if one side wants to deny the rights of the other side, that must also be true of the other side. 
But the reality is that what happened when 74 and a half million Americans said, we need this new way forward was they voted for the duty to care. They voted for the infinite worth of all people. They voted for the most ambitious climate change uh, agenda the United States has ever formally talked about in government. Those things are all connected. So I think, yes, on day one, there will be a rejoining of the Paris Agreement. But I also think that this spirit of service is what will allow the Biden administration, the Biden-Harris administration to be credible in that mission that Myra talked about of, of repositioning the United States uh, at the front of this global effort. As a journalist, it wasn't lost on me that all of the debates, uh, all of the conversations that there were so few questions about climate change. CNN later had to catch up to have uh, a debate just on that issue. To me, it seems that the, I don't want to call them the acceptance speeches, but the appearances by Vice President-elect and uh, President-elect used the words climate change and climate three or four times during the period of time that they were before the cameras. That's a signal of some kind, and it's a signal, I wonder, uh, to those people who reject the science, it is a signal, I suppose, to them that things are going to happen that they don't particularly care for. So when he says, I'm going to be the president for all of America, red states and blue states, people who voted for me and people who did not vote for me, how can we bring the country together? when the divide is just not political, but the divide is over whether science is dependable. Don, I, I have to say that when we begin to really speak plainly, we can make that case very easily because there is a link to the wellness of people. We've talked about it before. When this administration tackles ensuring that everyone has health care, everyone benefits. That is a benefit is there for each and every person. The advances in the direction of the economy, same thing. So there are benefits to these universal uh, concerns, and climate is related to all of that. And so as we have known in the past, there is a way to address this conversation around climate before speaking the word climate. I mean, everything is so entangled. And that's what I, that's why it remains for me the place where my drumbeat goes. Because right now, what we have gained is a, a population that is breathing more deeply now. But we have to understand the currents that flow in the biosphere that allow us to take the breath art the breath that we so cherish and that of course we've regained some of is linked to the well-being of the planet and we've got to get that message through joe you are a communications specialist when it comes to trying to get this message out but may i say with no insult intended that you get your message out to the choir a lot of the people who already believe what you are trying to tell them. How do you tell people who don't believe a single 
word of this? I'm an advocate for the idea that you don't want to, you know, and I, this phrasing is very intentional. You don't want to get someone to believe what you believe as if you somehow pull it out of them or drag them into it uh, or trick them into it. You want to help them see things that you see, not to change their mind, not to make them think the way you do, but because those things are there and they're real and they're important. Not everybody's going to see the climate crisis the same way. I may see it at a global scale. I may not be personally dealing with hurricanes or fires right now. Others will be escaping from fires or escaping from hurricanes, or they may see their their crop destroyed by a sudden burst of, of unbelievable wind. These are all things that have happened in the last few months. You know, I think we have to come at this question, not as a question of communication and persuasion, but more as a question of how does one listen? So there are people who, when they listen to the idea that we have to fix climate change and we have to transform our society to do that, and that our everyday lives are contributing and we need to be aware of this and alter our behavior. What they hear is they hear that there are a lot of threats to their personal freedom, a lot of ways in which their preferences, their familiar world, the things that they value in everyday life might be changed and they may not be on board with that. And that requires them to then defend the things that they care about. I think that we have to have a conversation of the kind that both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have signaled, which is, what does this mean to you? If we talk about net zero economy-wide by 2050, what does that mean for your everyday life? Can you still drive a car? Yes, you can. There's going to be investment in cars that can operate in that way. Will it be harder or easier to get around? Will you have more or less opportunity in terms of employment? The, the plan they're putting forward is the kind of plan we need for that, which is one where we talk to people at the community level, we let communities, states lead, cooperate, and we think carefully about transit systems, how power is delivered, making sure that people can have not just more energy efficient buildings, but that even the people who can't personally afford to do that for themselves can have the benefit of that of those retrofits and those improved building techniques so that they can save money, so that they can have more leverage in their personal lives. What we're talking about is an economy that works better for everybody. So I don't know that there's one way that we change the, the tendency that, that has emerged where a significant proportion of American society has come to align themselves almost as a matter of identity with the rejection of science. I would say that I think as we go into 2021 and we have hundreds of thousands of lives on the line on this very question of whether we uh, act on or reject science, I think we have to as a nation say, every human being is of infinite worth. Getting these things right is good for everyone. It's not that people don't want science to succeed. It's that they don't believe it will serve them or serve everybody. And so we have to make sure that we are careful about showing how it can, showing how it will, showing how it is something they actually already are demanding. You know, I think that I have a, a more acerbic view uh, than your measured tones. 
I know that people who right now will say science is bunk if they get COVID-19 will be the first people in line to say, please give me some Regeneron. Give me something science has figured out. But that doesn't translate, I don't think, to politics, to entrenched positions. Myra Mitt Romney was on television not long ago in the, the aftermath of this election, and he's no fan of Donald Trump, of course. But he said, I'll not abandon fossil fuels. I'll not abandon coal, and I'll fight Joe Biden on every claim that he makes that would do anything to limit that. He was saying that because it's a representative form of government. He has people that he has to worry about. How does that change? And yet we've seen Mitt Romney change. (laughs) He has made some changes. And it comes a time in which we all do. But you're right. He represents a state. He likes being in that position. He may even still have an idea that he'd like to run for president again. So he's looking at his own future. We still have, in many ways, people that are voting according to what, of course, they feel are their own best interests understood. And yet together, we are on a trajectory. We truly are that we don't have control over, and that is the state of climate and the impact that that changing climate will have on our livability. Regardless of whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. Correct. This is something that's so far beyond our ideology. And I'm waiting for that moment, and it will happen. When it dawns on us, It's dawning on people slowly, but when it dawns on us in large number across the divide that we have to put our hands together to work on this concern together and that we clearly see what's at stake and we get busy. The information's out there. Eventually, the dawning or the reckoning, shall I say, will occur. Joe, what I want to do is in these uh, last few uh, minutes to give you an opportunity to uh, speak what's on your heart. Well, there's so many things uh, I think we're all feeling right now. I have many conflicting feelings, uh, but the the main thing that I'm feeling is that this is a moment of liberation. I feel a lot of the people that are portrayed as uh, hardline Trump supporters or, or base are actually being forced into a misrepresentation of themselves. Um, When they argue about policies put forward by one or another party, we get the impression that there are, as some have said, this, and I think it's a very dangerous phrase, two Americas. That, That, to me, breaks my heart. I don't think we can succeed as a republic if we have two different societies that don't trust each other. But, you know, just this week on election day, Fox News put up on screen a number of voter polls and the results were pretty revealing. 72% are concerned about the effects of climate change. 70% favor increasing government spending on green and renewable energy. 60% want government to do more. 78% felt requiring people to wear masks outside their homes is a good idea. 78% 
felt racism is a problem. 73% felt racism in policing is a problem. The point being, Fox News is finding that the people it talks to are overwhelmingly on the side of science and equity and justice. And I think that we have an opportunity, and this is where my heart really is right now, we have an opportunity to to emerge from this dark period with a renewed sense of commitment to each other. And that that puts us in a position to say, what is the science? Let's use it. How can we help people? Let's do that. How many people are hungry? Maybe as many as 125 million in the United States this year. How do we solve that? We've got to get food to people. We've got to change the incentives. I think we have this opportunity to say no more cruelty, no more exclusion, The mission of this country is to create a space where everyone is welcome and everyone is protected. And that's what we're going to start doing together now. From your mouth to God's ear. Myra, your final comments on this uh, momentous week. Yeah, I'm really clear about this strong, strong movement that, you know, as a a Black woman, as I've shared on on the airways, that I tap into that, understanding this very long trajectory of a nation that enshrined the oppression of Black people into the Constitution, and yet left seeds for a promise. I learned today something that I felt very deeply but could not be articulated other than coming from another nation, a uh, member of parliament, a speaker in parliament in Iraq, who studied here in the U.S., said, this is the first day that I haven't been afraid to go to Twitter to see what crazy may be in the world. And really what that was about was how important U.S. as a democracy is for the rest of the world, because these folks were focused on human rights. And there are many policies that Trump has been able to, uh, you know, in the four years that are benefits to the Iraqis. But what was not a benefit to many of those around the world was the kind of democracy that we stand for. That was sorely missed. And it left many uh, nation states unable to really know where the center of gravity was in the world for making decisions. And that was incredible feedback of how precious this democracy is. And as far as this democracy goes, as long as we do not have the inequities addressed, there is no one that can breathe fully. Our own humanity is at stake in this hour. And what we do here does have an impact in the world. Well, I can tell you one thing in conclusion for my part, that there are a lot of white people in the world who believe in science, who believe that climate change is happening. I don't like the word belief, that they accept the science surrounding climate change. They accept the science around COVID-19. They accept that there is injustice, racial injustice in the world. None of this could be addressed without the African-American community, particularly the black women, and in particular, people of color all across the United States. So 
I would like to conclude my portion by just saying, we see you clearly and thank you from the bottom of our hearts. It is a historic moment, not just an election of a president and a vice president, the first woman of color, uh, the first woman to serve on a party ticket at the highest office in the land. But it is a moment of clarity, I believe, for everyone to wake up and say, there are real grievances, real people, and real power in those who love America, but as Doc Rivers would say, that America never loved back. I think a love affair has just begun. Thank you very much, Joe and Myra, for being with us today. Well, thank you, Don. And uh, thank you, everyone who helped make this moment of rescue possible. Thank you for letting us share this with you. And uh, let's protect each other. I'm just feeling the overwhelm of, I can feel the listeners. I can feel you. You're out there. You're with us. And I can feel the resonance in the field. And I just deeply appreciate you. Keep coming back. We have a community growing here. This has been Geoversy of Earth Intelligence. My name is Don Shelby. You can go to earthintel.org. Leave a comment. Tell us where we're right. Tell us where we're wrong. Tell us what we would, you would like to see us do next. And please stay in touch with us. And spread the word that this is a podcast worth listening to if you believe that it is. Thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. We'll be with you next week on Geoversy, Earth Intelligence.